and welcome to Climate Consulting. Today's guest is Gian Power. Gian is the founder of The Lions Club and Unwind London. Having started out in consulting, Gian's life was turned upside down in 2015 when his father was murdered while on a business trip to India. Following the three-month investigation to find out what happened to his father, a period that Gian says was the most difficult time of his life, he returned to consulting, but found it just wasn't the same for him. That's when he set out to do something different, and that decision ultimately led him to found the Lions Club. Since launching the Lions Club, a collection of motivational speakers who share their inspiring stories to help organisations improve employee engagement and well-being, the business has gone from strength to strength, working with clients such as Deloitte, BDO, Amazon and Just Eat, to name but a few. We cover some really interesting topics in this interview, a number of which I haven't discussed with any other guests before, including the story of how Gian founded the Lions Club and his advice for others thinking of launching their own business outside of consulting, why being busy is just an excuse and what you should be asking yourself instead, how Gian makes decisions and the importance of trusting your gut when deciding whether something is right for you, and the importance of mental health, or well-being as Gian calls it, and Gian's advice for both individuals and corporates on ensuring their well-being and that of their employees is as good as it can be. I really enjoyed speaking with Gian and hearing how he's managed to come back from such a terrible tragedy to create a successful business and a happy life for himself. So without further ado, please enjoy my interview with Gian Power. Hi there, Gian. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. And I think before we dive into to the, the content for today, I, I just want to go back to what you talked about just off air before we started about how you don't have busy days. Because I really like what you were saying. It'd be great if, for my listeners if you could just share why it is you don't use the word busy, where that came from and what it does for you. Yeah, sure. I guess... Well, from my background of a lot of people in the city and elsewhere always saying that they're busy, they're busy, I'm too busy to do this. It just really frustrates me. And I feel that everybody's got a lot going on in their lives and it's just a matter of priorities. And somebody once said to me, if you stop saying I am busy and replace it with it is not a priority, you'll see things differently. So it's the big one is if somebody says I'm too busy to go to the doctors, if you reword that and say the doctors and my health is not a priority, you start assessing your life a bit differently. So when people, I never say that I'm too busy for anybody. I just say, look, you're not a priority right now. And I'd rather people say it as it is. So yeah, things are just at all levels of priority for me. Even when things are, there's a lot in the diary. I think it's just prioritizing my days. <laughs> I really like that. And, you know, I worked in the city for, gosh, five, six years. And like you say, there's almost that badge of honor, isn't there, of I'm so busy, I've got, got so much on and, you know, I can't do that thing, I'm so busy. You just, you do wonder why that's become such a cult. Well, exactly. But now what I've realized is that, well, people keep saying to me, okay, can we do something then? And even though things are so hectic in the diary, I'm like, ah, because people say, well, you're not busy. But they just have to take the harsh thing of saying, well, you're not a priority right now. Everything is important. It's just different timings for it. But hey. <laughs> exactly. And it's probably worth us, for those who, who maybe don't know you so well, just starting right back at the beginning and giving a bit of background on your story, your career, and how you got to where you are today. Sure. So yeah, to go back, I was born in the Midlands. And then in 2002 onwards, I actually grew up in the northeast of England, near Durham. And I suppose looking at the career side of things, 
I always knew that I liked to think outside the box and that even to this day I hate kind of negativity and I wanted to see solutions to problems. When I was 13, launched my first business and it was, it was quite odd. It was in DVD manufacturing and it went on for quite a while. It was profitable from the start. And long story short, what that was is I remember it was English class and they took us to to watch kind of a theatre production. And afterwards, I wanted the DVD of it, but they didn't manufacture in um, hundreds. They would only do thousands at a time. So I got a machine from the headmaster, £947, and then I just started manufacturing them. Made quite a bit of money from it at a young age, which was great. Got all my PR for free through the local newspapers and everything. So it was great. And that was my first time. And even now I still talk about, I've got a photo of my first company accounts when I was 14, which is really interesting. But then after that, my parents said to me, Kian, focus on your GCSEs and the educational route. So I did, did my GCSEs, my A-levels, went off to uni. I went to do business in German at Aston in Birmingham. And I always loved languages. You know, my background is I'm half Indian by background and I couldn't speak Punjabi growing up and I always wanted to prove that I could learn something. So I thought German was the language of business. So there I was. And my first, one of my first jobs really was, um, I knew that I liked business and I could speak German. So the logical thing to do was to try and go to Deutsche Bank, which is what I did. So landed in Frankfurt and that was my first job. I worked between kind of wealth and innovation over in the Frankfurt head office, which was really cool but quite intense at the same time. Came back here and then I started at PwC. So I joined PwC, a number of reasons really. One, because obviously it's a great brand to work for and I thought it's gonna be great exposure, great for the network. But at the same time, I decided to go into restructuring and I decided to do that because I thought, well, hey, if there's this entrepreneurial side of me and they say, what well, X amount of startups are always failing, The more I can learn about how not to fail, the more likely I am to succeed. So that was my logic back then of let's go into restructuring and see why companies fail and how not to make those mistakes myself. And to do my ACA to be a chartered accountant on the side because I thought it was a sensible skill set to have. So that's what I did. Went there, realised that actually it's very different, although I learned a lot. Uh, You're not necessarily learning about how startups work. (laughs) It's much more about multi-billion dollar companies and huge technical issues that have to go through the lawyers. But that said, did learn a lot. And then, yeah, so I, I was there in 2014 and then 2015 came around and everything was very normal until, yeah, 2015, things kind of, well, they did go upside down quite suddenly in May 2015 when things changed and my dad was killed overseas. And... Yeah, quite suddenly and very impactfully, my whole life changed. I was just working in the city one day, and then the next thing, well, my dad was declared missing for a period of weeks, um, and life suddenly spalled all over the media before then uh, finding out that my dad had been killed. And after that, I guess, which brings me around a little bit to where I am today, is that I went, I had three months out of work and started leading the investigation across two jurisdictions. But when I came back to work, I started to see things a little bit differently. And I started to interact with people a little bit differently. And one thing I noticed is that people started sharing their stories with me. And I soon realized that everybody has a story that they'd like to share, if only we were willing to take the time and to listen. And that made me realize that I wanted to do something different and led me to launch TLC Lions in 2017. I qualified as an accountant there, had a great time for a number of years, but then I thought, right, I want to do something different. 
So that's what I did. 2017 came around and I left to launch my own company. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you for that run through. And yeah, so much for us to, to dig into and the story, like you say, of the investigation to find out what happened to your father and what you did after that. I know there's been a lot in the media about the investigation around your father, so I don't want us to spend too much time on it here and revisit that. I think what I'd be really interested in, though, is that point around after that and actually setting up TLC. You started TLC in 2017, and we'll come on to actually how you did that, because I I think actually that story of starting a business, especially in an area that's less familiar to you, is fascinating, especially for a lot of my listeners. I'd be interested first to understand, you know, you're obviously entrepreneurial from an early age, but what was it that made you decide, you know, you just had this terrible period of your life, you had a lot going on, a lot of upheaval, a lot of people would have said, well, actually, I'm going to, you know, go back to a steady life for a number of years, I'm going to work at PwC or whatever their organization is, and, you know, just get settled. And you hear people say that all the time when you know, very minor things might have happened to them, but they'll say, you know, I just want to settle this period, relax. You seem to almost do the opposite. What was it that led you to do that and go, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go and, and create TLC? I think so there's one key moment for me that really sparked why I wanted to do something different and that I couldn't just stick to my day job. And that was after all these things had happened, I used to walk from London Bridge Station to the office back and forth every day. But I started to look at life in a different way. I realized that life can come and go too quickly. You know, you can be here jumping around one day and next thing you can be gone. I'm not saying I live in a negative way because I don't, but I realized I wanted to make the most of my life. And if I'm on my deathbed tomorrow, next week, and hopefully not for another 80, 100 years, I want to be able to look back and however long that time was and say I've made a difference to people's lives in some way. And that really hit me when I started to walk down that street and see homeless men and women quite a lot around London. And there was one particular man and I just started to sit with him. And it was a busy morning, everybody in their suits and ties, I myself in that. And I just sat down and I just listened. I didn't do anything. Mm. He didn't know anything about me. I bought him a coffee outside Pret, and I just used to listen to be like, you know, how have you got here? What's your story and how can I help? And, and that night I put him in a hostel in King's Cross and tried to help him. And it was just from then on, I went back into the office and I thought, like, everybody's careers routes different and if people want to work in consulting or corporate it's an awesome career path but I realized that for me something had triggered differently that I wanted to make a difference elsewhere and I wasn't going to be able to do that difference internally in those four walls although there are ways in corporates that do a lot of things around CSR and helping people it just wasn't the route that I wanted to do and for me if I'm honest that was the huge trigger of again it's now or never there is always a barrier in the way there's never a perfect time so let's just go and do it. To that point of, of overcoming barriers, because I think that's a really big thing as well. And I've, I've had a number of other entrepreneurs who have stepped out of consulting onto this show. And we've talked about some of those challenges because it is real. And especially, you know, you talked about the city life as well. The, there is that big challenge of you get to a certain level and you're earning a certain salary. And one of the benefits of that type of path is you know that if you do certain things in a certain number of years, your salary will progress and you can plan a life like that, which and, you know, a very good life. The interesting thing to what you just said is you obviously went from consulting into running TLC, which has a fantastic stable of motivational speakers. Uh, I mentioned to you before, I've heard at least one. I've heard Paul Oberschneider, who I think is fantastic. 
But as far as I'm aware, this isn't an industry that you had a background in. So it's not like you went from consulting in banking into, say, a banking startup. You had very little or no, and correct me on this, experience in that space. But again, to your point of people putting up barriers, very often if I speak to people who are looking to start a business, they'll say something like, I would have if I was younger, if I had more money, if I had, you know, if I wasn't this close to partner, whatever it may be. How did you overcome that to create the, the business you did? And what, what advice do you give to people who I'm sure ask you the same question now? So there was quite a lot there right? about firstly the stability side and then jumping out and what I'm doing. The first bit there I think is I've gone from a consulting background into a startup that's very, very different in that respect. Although what I would say, so TLC is all about igniting emotion in the workplace, working with organizations to bring the human side back to life through our incredible lions who are speakers. That said, one of the skill sets I feel of being a consultant or working in those organizations is having relationships and being able to interact with people. And for me, especially in consulting firms, that's what sets people apart. That's what I mm. hope helped me to perform highly every year. There was only you know, one person every year could get that top rating. And if you asked them, that's what I would go after. I said, I wanted it, what do you want me to do? And I soon realized that relationships was everything internally within your teams that would jump around quite a lot but mm. also externally with clients client dinners if you're trying to win work in organizations so when I left although it does sound very much far removed I really don't think it is in that I'm still operating in the corporate market you know the likes of Deloitte PwC, GSK, they are my clients. So it's still very much corporate and it's all based on the relationship skills that I feel that like I learned throughout my journey there. Mm. So I feel that like when I dissect it a little bit, which I've never really done before, it does go a little bit down there. There are a lot of links in that respect. Then go back to the second bit. You said people always say, if I'd known X, I'd do Y. I always think, and somebody said to me, you know, if we always do what we've always done, you always get what you've always got. So if you don't mm. try, you don't know. So I realized that that's kind of it. I think it's just about trial and error and you've just got to try. It's not easy. And a lot of people will like stability and I get that. I thrive on taking chances and risks, although they're calculated risks. You know, as an accountant, you get taught to be prudent and be careful. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not an idiot when it comes to taking too many risks. But I feel that I, I always say to people, I always map things out financially and then I follow my gut. I've done that like when I was setting up TLC. I still do that today when I'm making a decision for the business. I will sit and model it out financially. And then I literally, after going to the gym, I go into the sauna and I just follow my gut where my phone is not around me. Nobody is around me, no externalities. And I just follow what I think is right. And you will always find a barrier to stop you doing something. Like I mm. could probably pick 10 that will stop me going to the next meeting or something. But there is never a right time. Somebody might say, well, I'm getting married in next year or I'm about to buy a house or I want to save up for a deposit or you know, I've just had a kid. These things are all important, right? But there's always something there. And I'm not, like, I realized quite soon, I had this international murder investigation in front of me where it does cost money, it did, and I dropped everything to pursue what I wanted to do. I started off with nothing and I'm proud of where it's all come from. To, so for people not to think that anything started with a huge wedge in the bank account, it absolutely didn't. So just in summary there, I think I've realized that things are quite close. There is a link between what I'm doing today and what I've learned from the world of consulting. And also just give it a try. And you don't have to quit your job one day and then start your business the next. You, there are so many hours in the day. There's like 
what is it, 1,440 minutes or something? Like, and if you break it down like that, you can get a lot out of it. I've I've not thought about it like that, but like you say, if you do think that is a that is a long time when you break it down like that. Yeah. I will come back to actually the steps you took to find the Lions and persuade them to be part of your organization. I'm just curious, on on the point you mentioned there around decision-making, because I think that whether you're starting a business, whether you're you know doing something in your personal life or on a consulting project, that that's quite a key skill. And you mentioned there around, from your accounting background, you'll do the numbers and then you'll trust your gut. Have you ever had a tension in that respect, in that your gut says, I massively want to do this, even though the numbers are... You know, you find, maybe find yourself massaging the numbers to work. Yeah. How, how do you deal with that tension of what, I guess, to characterize it, you could call your accounting side versus your, your entrepreneurial or your risk-taking side? Yeah, I, the, the short answer to that is I follow my gut. Because even mm. if the numbers might look great, if this looks like a really wise decision, and that's happened, you know, admittedly, in the past few months, I've decided not to expand into Hong Kong and to pause on things in New York. And I've explored them, like, massively you know contacts are on the ground I've spoken to corporates out there everything was go but then something in my gut said Gian just pause that for now so Mm. I did because it's always right I've realized that the times when I've not followed my gut and I've gone with the accounting hat and thought well this is just a great opportunity it's worked out wrong it really, really has. So I'm like, yeah, and if you can't learn from this, what can you do? And if mm. it's every, even if I've got a meeting or if it's an event, somebody sent an invite and I'm like, huh, when you're like, shall I go, should I not go? It's one of those things that I, I read in a book. You know, it's like, if it's not a hell yes, then it's a no. And I just live by that now. <laughs> Was that was that Derek Sivers by any chance? Yeah, from Tools of the Titans. Yeah, big fan of Tools of Titans. Derek Sivers has written a fantastic book of his own as well that I'll dig out and send you after this. Brilliant. Um, yeah, but it's so right, and I feel that you can use that in every respect of life. And I've shared mm. it with so many people because if it isn't a hell yes, then why do it? Say no. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I completely agree. And you mentioned there, you know, you, there's times when you followed the accounting hat and it's gone wrong. Do you ever find yourself following your gut even when the accounting side says no? No, not really. No, so that's sort of the numbers is always there as a check and balance, if you like. Yeah, I think there's got to be the, the number side. Uh, the numbers slash, is this the right thing for the business? Mm. You know, by putting a logical hat on and that side of things. So I think, no, I wouldn't really... So I'm not giving you a direct answer here, but I think it's very rare that it, it would have to get past the number stage for it even to go to gut stage. You know got what you. I mean? So it's like, if it hasn't got past that, it wouldn't even be on the table for my gut to decide on. Yeah, yeah, I get that. And maybe, well, maybe this is a better way of... This will help articulate that point better and maybe bring it back to your business. And this might be a numbers question. I don't know the mechanics behind how you work with your lions. But I, I read somewhere that you, ha- you now have a stable of, stable of around 20 lions, but you interviewed and spoke to sort of 70 or so. And now, to your, um, tell me if any of these assumptions are wrong, but I'm assuming at some point you said, I, I want a certain amount of lions, I want to keep you know, the quality, and I want us to have a certain group. Therefore, some of those 70 probably dropped out naturally. Some of those 70 you probably said thanks, but no thanks to. And to that point, just around decision making, was that then a was it a gut decision? And I'm thinking specifically around the fringe ones. So any lions that either just made it in or just got, you know, just didn't make the cut. Yeah. So 
Okay, on that, I've now met over 100 people, but I've stopped meeting and I tend to do it virtually because of time. It's very difficult mm. when people reach out. Firstly, it's amazing that people do reach out to be lions because everybody is a lion in their own right. We've all got things and learn lessons that we can share. And it doesn't matter, mm. firstly, whether you do it through us at TLC in organizations or you can just do it in your everyday life, as we hope everybody should be, that everybody's got things to share. So I just want to make that point clear. But in terms of the over 100 people that we've met now, for me, what it comes down to, it's the culture. It's got to be a right cultural fit. And as mm. we've grown from the first line, the second, the fifth, the 10th, the 15, we've become even stronger as a group, I would say. And the culture has naturally evolved. It's a culture of people like really give to each other. It's very, you know, they know each other. We get together in December. We're having a really close get together of the 2019 update with like a dinner and things like that. So it's mm. not like these are just random people. They're, it's a culture that they have to fit. So if I meet somebody and if I just think, great person, amazing, you could help so many people, but it's just not going to work with the wider lions, then it can't be a fit. So mm. that's the way I do it. And again, going back to the, the ones on the edge, it's, you know, the hell yes, or if it's a no, even that mm. comes back there. And it's like, well, if it's not hell yes, because it's not like this is 100% in the culture, then it's a quite clear no. That yeah. said, if there's any, you know, ambiguity here, my non-exec director, who is amazing and a lion in her own right. Who is she, sorry? She's called Kamel Hoti. So she's Britain's first female Asian bank manager about 40 years ago, who's recently retired. And now so she's an advisor to the Queen in, on her Commonwealth Fund in 53 countries, as well as on the board of a number of charities here in the UK. And she very much, so she coaches all of our lions very close relationships to manage them. Why? Because with her 38 years of Lloyds Banking Group experience, she knows how to really to bring things to life. But that said, she's also a lion in her own right. So Kamel meets all of our lions and helps manage them. And that is really useful. And it just triggered, I think it's Tools of Titans again, but there's someone else who talks about rating things. It's either a six or an eight. And if you yeah, remove, to you your point about seven, busy, if you remove oh seven. Oh my gosh, Yes. It's, it's amazing. This literally happened, I think, a year or two ago with my housemates, and they had people coming to view to move in with us. And I said, look, can you just give me out of 10? And then I knew that in my mind, what you've just said about if it's a seven. So hoping that anybody eight and above, I'll meet, and then we'll make the decision. And lo and behold, they said seven. I was like, this is it. it it's a classic. And then I sent them the snippet from that book, and I said, come back to me with another number. And then it was a six. And then I knew, <laughs> exactly. I forgot about that lately. That's great. <laughs> a great example. And, and yeah, I've, I've used it in, well, similar, when you're trying to, if you're trying to force a group of people to get off the fence, it's yeah. a great way of doing it. Yep. So, and it's, you know, to your point around, you've interviewed now over 100 people. That's fantastic to hear it. your business is growing and that you're getting that traction that people are coming to you. Going all the way back to your point around the first lion, the second lion, the fifth lion, back then, you didn't have the business you have, the track record, the staple of other lions. What steps did you follow to get those first one, two, three lions? And, and looking back, what were the, those key moments that got you those lions and got you on that journey? So yeah, it's changed a lot since I first started where I'm just a guy with an idea and I'm like, I need some lions, <laughs> is how it started. I knew, I, obviously, you Google things, but the whole point of the lions, they're not people that are all over Google, and that's what I pride myself on. But a lot of it comes through word of mouth. When I started to have conversations with people, 
and tell them about what my vision was and what I'm doing and the type of person I'm looking for, I guarantee that anybody, even if it might take them a few days, they come back and think, do you know what? I've got somebody that you need to meet. Everybody knows somebody who's maybe, maybe, you know, something has happened in their life or it's happening and they've turned their lives around and they're having impact. Everybody knows somebody. You know, mm. Right at the start, somebody said, you need to meet a friend of mine. She's one of the UK's first blind lawyers. And that was at my birthday last year. You, you know, the, everybody knows somebody because again everybody does have a story so right at the beginning it was kind of through word of mouth I did reach out to a few individuals at the start that was mostly through the things such as Pride of Britain awards filtering through those because there you kind of get ordinary people with extraordinary stories you know where they've helped a lot of people and at the start I would meet people who'd done phenomenal things and they would be in tears and I'd be like you're amazing and they're like no I'm not I'm like you are these people don't recognize how incredible they are. And that's what, for me, makes them unique because they've got such humbleness about them, humility. Completely a say from the ones or the, the one of your lines I've heard, I completely agree. And yeah, interesting to hear there how some of this does just come from word of mouth and the, you know, the network that you have. And I've, I've spoken to other guests about just the power of the network you don't know you have until you start asking. And exactly. Actually, well, it's like on the one that you know, so Paul, where that came about is my housemate works for an investment bank and said, oh, this, this name's cropped up and you should reach out to him. And then I did. And then the next, I think three days later, I went to meet Paul at his offices in Mayfair. We had a deep discussion. You know, we both lost our fathers at a young age. And I was flying to New York the next day and he was just there and he just said, look, you've got my full support as a lion in extra things. And it was just a bond there with these people. It's all about relationships. And he's just mm. a great guy who, you know, has got a lot to give and a lot to share and has turned life around significantly. Oh, completely. His, um, his book is fantastic as well. Um, top read, how to, how to Sell Tacos in Africa. Yeah, that's I hope it. I got the title there right. <laughs> you get that right, didn't I? Brilliant title. Yeah, some brilliant points in there and you know, really interesting story as well. And I want to turn to an area that I know is a big focus for you. And obviously, this week we had World Mental Health Day. And I know you're doing a number of talks and your lines were out around that. And I think it's a, a topic that is starting to get the level of focus and respect it deserves in the city, which is fantastic. I wanted to start, if if you'd be happy to, with with really finding out about your own journey, because I know you've shared quite openly that following your father's death, you had your own challenges with mental health and you worked through that. And I'd be really keen to start there and just what you found had the biggest benefit and impact for you and what recommendations you give to others who who maybe come asking for advice from a similar situation. Sure. I think... On that, my mental health journey, because we've all got one, is one of prevention rather than crisis when I look at it because mm. we're all on a spectrum. And what I realized is things had happened in my life. Everything had happened with my dad. And statistically speaking, if I didn't look after myself, things weren't, were going to get messy. I had an investigation to lead, a lot going on. I, I continued with my accounting exams. I continued at work. And I knew that I have to put some form of self-care routine in place. Admittedly, for the first few months, it was go, 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 survival mode. I was leading, you know, the Foreign Office, Interpol, the West Midlands Police, you name all these organizations, as well as do my ACA and being at PwC. But a few things happened in two key moments, and I do share these when I talk in person. One is that when I came back to PwC, is that somebody who I joined with in the graduate cohort with me 
um, had jumped off the building and committed suicide. And what we've realised now is such a great guy, had mental health conditions that nobody really knew about at the time. And it made me think, wow, Gian, you need to really take this thing seriously. And a second moment when I was in the office and I remember the police were there, numerous kind of reporters would be outside or around, as well as trying to do my day-to-day work. And someone said to me, Gian, I think you might just blow up and gave me their phone and said, I think you should go and listen to this in the bathroom. And I went in and it was a meditation for 10 minutes. I'd never meditated before. And it just changed everything in a situation that was so overwhelming and suffocating. I just came out completely relaxed and I could manage the situation better. And it was those two things that happened probably very close to each other. And I thought, I'm feeling so many emotions, a lot of anger, you know, is within me. I've learned how to deal with that these days. But so many emotions would fly through me that I knew I had to manage this to stop any awful things that would ever go through my head because I had an investigation to lead and a life to continue living. So on that, I put a lot of things in place, my own self-care routine, my well-being. And I talk, as you said, it's World Mental Health Day that's just gone, you know, on the 10th of October. And I spoke at a number of organizations this week about that journey. You know, normally mm. I talk a lot more about the word well-being, because when you look at the word mental health, there's a reason that we're trying to reduce the stigma around it, because if you take the word health away, it's the word mental. And people, you know, associate things with the word mental. And so I do try to, I use the word well-being quite a lot. Sure. And so what you mentioned there, your self-care routine, what meditations obviously become a part of that. What, what is in that routine for you? Yeah, so a key one for me is something that, you know, I, somebody else taught me this. It's something called shed. And my shed is something that I check in myself every single day. And that's my sleep, my hydration, my exercise and my diet. And if I'm ever having a bad day or if I'm ever not feeling 100%, if I look at those four areas, it's usually because I haven't slept enough, I'm pretty dehydrated or I've eaten some crappy food or I haven't Mm. gone to the gym and I can just suss them out. So I realize quite quickly, and I still do this these days, you know, if I wake up, have a good night's sleep, if I go to the gym in the morning, I'm hydrated and have a good breakfast, my shed is 100% before I've even started. So my performance just goes up. So that's one thing, and I recommend everybody to check in with that. Other things that help me along the way is, I've been speaking about this a lot, is something called an emergency playlist. And I feel that okay. everyone should have one. And it's in moments of overwhelm or if everything becomes too much and Yes, my story, it's quite unique and extreme, but we all face those moments, be it at work or at home, where things become too much and it's overwhelming, just to have a playlist that you can put on and it just boosts you up. So I would go and I'd listen to this, and I know a number of my lions have their own playlists. And yes, it's awesome, until about two weeks ago when I shared this at a talk and someone in the audience and a friend of mine went, and searched me on Spotify and found this playlist. And I had no idea it was bloody public. It's, it's firmly private right now. <laughs> not cool. No, I was going to say, do you want to put a link on the yeah, show notes? But no, your private playlist, not. don't you worry. Yeah, it'd be a bit um, too embarrassing. But I think other things there, I go to the gym five times a week. I'm not saying go to the gym, but just do some exercise, get outside, get fresh air. I change my working environment a lot. I meditate 
as a key one for me. Meditation came from a number of things. The one that I've mentioned about somebody passing their phone, but also the book that we've been talking about, you know, where Tim Ferriss had interviewed so many people and the commonalities mm. being that 80% of the people in this book meditate daily. And I thought there's got to be something in this. And it was January 2016 that I decided to do quarterly resolutions. And so the 1st of Jan, 1st of April, uh, you know, to put something new that would be for my own personal development. And Mm. 1st of Jan, I thought, well, hang on, let's try meditation 10 minutes a day, just four or five times a week, do it for three months until the next quarter, and it stuck. And I absolutely recommend it to everyone and anyone just to try. It's not easy. Yeah. Do you, is there a specific app you use or a specific method? Yeah. So I started off using the app Calm, which I found awesome. And I was really honored to meet Michael Acton Smith. Was it last month, two months ago, when he was over from San Francisco as well, talking about his journey and developing Calm, the app. Yeah. And PwC, actually, somebody there paid for the app and still continues to today for me to use it, which is very kind of them. So yeah, Calm, I think you get a one week free trial. I've obviously I've used Headspace as well. It's personal preference. Calm just suited me better. And then, yeah, which I'm not going to go too much into, but of course, then later on, I launched part of TLC is Unwind, which is mm. another meditation company, uh, my second business. Yeah, and then if we have time, because I'm very conscious of how much time you have, if we have time, it'd be great to to delve into Unwind. Like you say, for now, I think it'd be good to, to continue actually on that mental, the mental health side. And I want to. I will come on to how you manage your time to fit exercise in because, yeah, again, coming from similar similar world to you in the city and and London and just cities in general and that working culture five times a week to the gym is is a lot and being able to fit that in. Your story about your colleague and obviously you know as terrible as that is, it's quite an extreme case. I think there's a lot of people again you. You know, you've only you've you walk across London Bridge regularly or used to. You've only got to walk across there to see a lot of frowning people. And I wonder, and again, if this is I don't know if this is something you've talked on directly or or have a take on, but I seem to think there's a lot of people who are in, let's say, corporate life, it could be any life, who just have been worn down over the years, over you know, be it just high levels of stress or just be it that sort of wearing down that generally seems to happen from not being particularly inspired by whatever they're doing. And I'm not saying that's everyone, but there are some people out there. And what I've seen in some some of those people is that ends with them, they almost walk around in a sort of seeming state of depression. They wouldn't say they're depressed, but that for them just seems like the new normal, if you like. And I guess what I'd be keen to get your take on is, as you've had such a a terrible and extreme scenario and, and got back from it is almost for those people who haven't had that that extreme situation but have had that gradual wearing down what is it that you advise people and it might be things like your your shared which i really like you know what is it that you advise people to be thinking about to check whether you know actually they are i'm going to use it just because of, it works better here but mentally healthy so how do you check they have good well-being? What advice do you give to people who don't present particularly happy? Well, that's, I think, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that word because that's what I was going to come on to. I think it comes down to happiness because if people are frowning, they're a bit down, it's just what makes you happy, happy at work, happy at home. And if you can find those things, it turns it around. And, you know, if it is just you've had a wearing down, then you need to find those things that make you happy. And what I did to do that I share what I do and I recommend you put a piece of paper next to your bed and a pen for a month and you just write things down that make you happy 
anything. There's no right or wrong answer. Even if you're not feeling great, just put the things that you wish you could do. Or the times, especially when you were a child, what made you happy? Because, mm. you know, they, when we were children, they say it's the happiest days. If you say to people, when you were a child, a teenager, or as an adult now, when were you happiest? People are always like, as a child, m- most of the room. And I wrote all of this down. And then what I realized is, and I do explain this as well in my talk about happiness, because I feel that whatever happens in life, you kind of start with this, like, I know people can't see this kind of like sphere of happiness. And then it could either be that something bam hits and like takes this bit away or slowly, as you say, it can eat away at you. You lose your Mm. inspiration and your happiness takes a knock on effect. How do we fill that back up? And I realize there's no one huge answer or magic wand. It's find the little things. For me, it was Skyping with my niece. She's four years old. If I Skype her, it makes me happy. If I call my mates who are just an absolute laugh, It makes me happy. And you know, the most interesting thing, as I put these things together, one commonality, if you like, is they were all free. Mm. None of them cost money. And I couldn't believe that. And I didn't purposely do that. And actually, those things that made me happy don't cost anything. It wasn't the buying a nice thing that may put a smile on my face. It was being around a certain type of person. So what I would say I really suggest is that everybody finds those things that make them happy. Don't try and overthink this chuck a piece of paper and just start writing things. It might be hot weather, warm weather. I don't know. It could be the rain. It could be like going for a run at midnight. I don't know. We're all individual. And Mm. last week I met, I don't know whether you know, Mo Gordat. So he's the ex, well, the former chief business officer of Google X. Yeah, fantastic book, Sold for Happy. Yeah, so I was very fortunate to spend three hours with him on Monday this week. So uh, he was over here in the UK, and that's thanks to Just Eat, one of my clients who worked closely with me and him. And yeah, it was a video I saw of his in 2016, and I massively, I'm happy to share the link. I saw this video in 2016 when you talk about when you're just feeling a little bit down, and I just thought, oh. And I saw his video about being happy. It was a Channel 4 video. It's only two minutes long. And he spoke about the difference between fun and happiness. And how so many of us go out to find this fun, you know, going partying on a Friday night to forget all the problems or your boss at work on Friday, only to then have a hangover. And then your boss Mm. is still there on Monday. Whereas actually, if you focus on happiness and what he said, it was happiness is actually quite a calming feeling of contentment. So going back to your point here is about, you know, how do we focus on well-being and our mental health and turn things around Find happiness in the things that make you happy. Be around people that lift you up. There is nothing worse than when I used to walk into the office and we call them mood hoovers, I call them. They just suck the living daylight out of you. I can't be around it. Mm. I can be around people and I am every day. People who are facing challenges in their life, that's different. But constant negativity, I can't deal with it. And if you just surround yourself with happy, positive people... Like, I'm conscious who I live with. They're very energetic people because they constantly lift me up. So I think watch who you're around, watch how you act around people and find the things that make you happy and do them. Really good advice. And yes, if you can share that link, I'll put it in the show notes. I'll put all of the books we've talked about in the show notes. Both I and my listeners love getting these recommendations for books and other resources. So those will all go in the show notes along with anything else. And to that point of actually how this then translates into a corporate environment, because you obviously work with a lot of corporates and talk on this exact topic of actually encouraging well-being in the corporate world. And like we talked about, the corporate world is definitely moving in the right direction in well-being. I still see some corporates who, and this is, I don't know if you've read Sean Acker, The Happiness Advantage. 
Um, so he's a positive psychologist, but he makes the point that he uses a specific example, but it, it generalizes to actually that a number of corporates talk about mental health or well-being almost in the negative. So there's a lot of workshops around managing stress and other things. So resilience, which I know, you know, I know you've written on and I would say, well, that's in the context you've written on it is a positive. I think some corporates take it in the negative of just plug on through, you can do your 40 years and get your pension. And actually, how do you advise corporates and what should consulting firms be thinking about when they're approaching mental health for their employees? So there's a few points there. And one of the most important for me is at the top. It's the tone that's set at the top of the organisation. Because Mm -hmm. we say at TLC, are your leadership contagious? And that's what I mean. If you look at your exec board, and this, of course, you could be a huge organisation, but people mimic and people follow the tone set at the top of organisations, whether we like it or not. People do conform I'm not saying we should, but generally speaking. So what I firstly advise is you have an honest and open and challenging conversation with your exec and your senior leadership team. And if you know somebody there who maybe has struggled with mental health in the past, and I pretty much guarantee they have because most people have, Mm -hmm. if they've had an episode of, you know, depression or they felt anxious, if you can get them to share how they're feeling with the organization, be it in a private you know, an intimate kind of speaking event, or if they're courageous enough to share it on video around the organization, get them to do it. One, because it sets the tone right. But two, I always have to say what's in it for the business. We have to look at this of profitability and productivity, because that's the language that most people speak in organizations. And I think execs are waking up to realize that if they're shown to care about people, people go the extra mile. If you show and you mean it, I felt this at PwC, I would go above and beyond for my leaders who did that, one. And two, it's also proven that CEOs and C-suites who open up about their past and, you know, employees become more loyal to the brand. Mm. They see a human side that they've never seen before of what can come across as sometimes robotic and, you know, hidden, always putting on a front. And it happened, you know, very recently at a large company in the city. I spoke and somebody came over and said, look, yeah, and it was the CEO. And they said, look, this has happened in my life. Should I be sharing it? And I said, well, absolutely. Of course, I don't say, yeah, let's do it now. But, you know, you ask questions. What makes you stop sharing it? Why do you think you can't? And it was, you know, the classic, I feel that I can't because I have to be this person. And I said, but if you show human side, people Mm. will be behind you like an army. People will be loyal to you and your company. So for me, that's the first thing. It's setting the tone right at the top in organizations and challenging them. The second there. So going back to the question is, how do we get, uh, you know, well-being the workplace right to the forefront of the agenda? I think there's another one about listening. All too often, and this is people of all levels, because the opposite of what I've just said in point one is personal responsibility. Mm. Yes, at the top, we're responsible for, you know, creating an open environment and so people can feel empowered. But the, the flip side of this is, taking on some element of personal responsibility, being courageous enough to step up and support your peers and listening all too often, especially in the city. And I was you know, guilty of this myself. We solutionize, we give advice. We think that we know best, you know, especially as consultants, this is what I think that you should do or my advice would be or all of these things. Whereas quite often in the workplace, we're employees and you just want somebody to listen 
Mm-hmm. If you're having a difficult day or a difficult episode in your life, you don't need somebody to give you all the answers. Quite often, that's the opposite of what you want. And if you can just be there and say, hey, hey, you okay? Do you want to have a coffee? Do you want to have a walk? Look up, look around the office. If you see somebody looking out the window a little bit too much or if they're acting out of the norm, just go and say to them, like, do you want to catch up? And just say, how's things? And listen. And if they talk, don't chuck solutions. Open up yourself, but don't bring the conversation back to you. Actively listen. And I feel that, you know, actively listening is so, so important. And learning to respond and not react. You know, that I've learned that throughout everything that happened in my own life, you know, because I couldn't just react. I had to respond accordingly and take the facts away with me. So I think, yeah, just learning to listen and be there for each other and not see showing vulnerabilities as a weakness is actually a huge strength and remember that. Fantastic. There's some great, some great advice there. And like you say, for it applies for big corporates and smaller size consulting firms as well. That tone from the top and empowering letting people see the leaders have their own challenges and then also supporting people with it. The first point is obviously something that executives should be looking at and leadership teams should be be thinking about. For that second point of of listening, obviously there's a, a part there that is for the individual to, like you said, just get better at listening and for other individuals to share more openly. What do you tend to advise consulting firms to do to foster that type of environment? There's a number of things you can do. The first thing is, that's what we do at TLC. The whole point of it is building empathy. And you can't just change a culture overnight. We know that. You have to ingrain things in over time. And that's why, just firstly, what I'm trying to do with TLC is bringing the lions to share powerful stories, to hit people here, you know, in the heart, but then be able to speak commercially of why does this matter for the business? Because when you do it like that, people leave the room thinking, wow, I had no idea that somebody who, what they often say, looks so normal, was going through something like that. And, and wow, they've left me with things that I can go away and do differently in my teams. So that's the main thing that we try and do as, you know, as TLC Lions and what we're trying to kind of evoke. The second thing, I see so many things, you know, across different clients that they're doing well, that they could be doing better. Most recently, I saw a great organization who had little stickers on laptops and it just said, you can talk to me. And when I asked them what that was, not everybody had them. I mean, in time, we hope that we don't need them because everybody's talking. But it was just a little sticker that meant that if you wanted to talk to somebody, you could identify on the laptops because we've always got them in front of us. It's like sticking on your head these days. And you could just go over and, or message them online on the communicator and say, hey, could I have a chat with no judgment and things like that. So that's another thing. I do recommend that people should be looking to things like mental health first aiders. But I don't say just do it as a tick box. Don't just say, oh, we've got 30 mental health first aiders. Great. But if people people don't know about them, it doesn't mean much. Sorry, what is a, I've not heard the term before. What is a mental health first aider? So just like we all know about first aiders. So when something physically goes wrong with us, you have a first aider. And now what organizations can do is send employees on mental health first aid training courses. So they differ in length, a few days where you get an official qualification and people in your organization can have that certificate. So people then know that I am a mental health first aider. You can kind of approach me if you're, you know, if you're feeling a certain way, one. But that also means that as a mental health first aider, you know how to deal with these things. We've spoken about actively listening, but you need to do know how to respond and you get trained on how to do that. 
So mm-hmm. I highly recommend, and most organizations now are waking up and doing this and sending employees on courses. And once they've done that, fantastic. But then please make it known who those individuals are. And secondly, make sure you measure it. And what I mean by that is measure the uses of it. Because one of our clients in the in the pharmaceutical space recently said to us that they, I think they had 40 mental health first aiders. They had 200 uses of it in the past 12 months and they saved two lives. Wow. And these people had said to them, like, if it wasn't for that person that I'd spoken to, I probably would have killed myself. And I just thought, wow, because it's those numbers that when we talk about going back to the top, they speak volumes. So one, I, I massively recommend that companies get involved in that. Oh, fantastic. And like you say, I think the the power, I mean, that, that story alone just shows the power of investing in this, taking it seriously, and and how it's good for both the, the company and the employees. So, Gian, I'm I would love to, to talk all afternoon, and I'm, I'm sure we could, but I'm also very conscious that you know, you've got a lot of other things on today. We've only got a short amount of time. So I've got two final questions, and then we'll wrap up, and I'll let you get on to your next meeting. And these are ones that I ask all of my guests, and I'll be really interested in, in your take. So the first one is, is about books, and we've talked about a couple of books. It sounds like you're, you're also a Tim Ferriss fan. I'm a big fan of his. Um, like you say, Tools of Titans, great book. Tribe of Mentors as well, fantastic book. If you've, I don't know if you've got that as well. And if I've just ruined your answer to this, apologies. But the, the question is, what book or books have you recommended or given most often? And I would give a, in fact, I won't even give a time frame. What books have you given or recommended most often? So I'll be, I'll be very honest, and everybody who knows me knows that I don't read as much as I should because I get bored quite easily and I like to learn from doing and being with people. So I'm often mm-hmm. around people is where I get my biggest source of knowledge. So people who know me know that they're like, Gian, read this, Gian, read that, Gian, read this. They'll send me books. And I'm like, I haven't read them yet. The one book that somebody forced me to read, and I said, I'll read the first 15 pages. And if it sticks, I'll read the rest, was Tools of the Titans. Mm-hmm. Because since then, I have read 15 pages of other books. And that one really gripped me. And I do highly recommend it because it's put so many things in place for my own life. I have mm. since given it to a few people and sent it or recommended it just because it's so practical, which it reflects me. It's practical tips. How do I know about the app Calm? Because it was in the book. You know, how do I know about the hell yeah thing? Because it's in the book. They're things that you can do every single day and they're short, snappy pieces. So I know we've talked about it a lot and I'm sure Tim Ferriss will be very happy uh, <laughs> that everybody's just recommending his book everywhere, as I'm sure a lot of people do. But I would say that book. Go for it. I've highlighted the hell out of that book. Um, I still have it. <laughs> oh, it's, and it's, it, it is fantastic. And for those who haven't read it, you know, like you highlight, it's, it's worth sharing that it isn't a, it's not a story or a, or a sort of 300 page, you know, start at page one, end at page 300. It's, it's lots of different sections, isn't it? Yeah. So you get a little it's, advice it's like from everyone. Health, wealth, wisdom or something, which is great. And I jumped around. I still delve into it every now and then. So yeah, do it, read it. <laughs> no, great recommendation. It's also one of my most given and recommended books. In fact, the whole that the whole Tim Ferriss back catalogue is. So um, yeah, he's uh, he's made a bit of money out of me as well. But thank you very much for that. And then the last question, and I'm going to tack in one question after this, just because I'm interested in what it is. And maybe maybe I'll, I'll ask it with these questions, and you can answer it before or after as you choose. So the last question is you have three people in front of you. You have one person just starting their career in consulting. You have one person who's four to five years in, so 
manager, senior manager level, and one who's approaching partner. Now, the question I ask all of my guests, and I'll ask you is, is what one piece of advice would you give to each? And the bonus question you get is, you mentioned how your lions give you advice and how your you know, non-executive director gives you advice. And it would actually be, what is the one piece of advice that you've had from your lions that's really stuck with you? So I, terrible, I know I'm asking two questions at once. Take them how you choose. And if you need them to, if you need me to go back to them, let me know. Sure. No, 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 thanks. I think they're very important because they're such very, we're talking about different generations, different stages in life and everything here. And my first thing, so somebody starting out in consulting, I would say, be you and be unique. Yeah, embrace your differences and don't conform, firstly. But at the same time, make sure you bloody deliver and you learn every single day because there is so much to be learned in these organisations. In my years at PwC, I've taken so much away, but you have to be open and willing to learn and go above and beyond. Because if you don't, then you don't want to be one of many. You know, stand out, but for the right reasons. So I would say embrace your differences, learn, 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 and build long-lasting relationships from day one. So that's my advice there. For somebody who's a couple of years in, my key thing there is I would say firstly check in of how happy you are. Are you one of those people and you might not be? Do you love what you do? Because people say, oh, not everybody can love what you do. You can, I'm sorry. There are sacrifices every single day. I know that. We don't love every second. But generally speaking, just to check in and say, am I really still happy of where I am? Am I still on the right career trajectory of where I want to be? It's probably a couple of years since maybe they've done a five-year plan. And one of my advisors from actually Ernst & Young Partner, who's just joined my advisory board, said to me, Gian, where are you going to be when you're 35? And, you know, somebody hasn't asked me that question for a while. So I would say, check in where you want to be in five years' time. And are you still happy now? And are you on track for where you want to be in five years? If not, then get doing that happy list and start making some changes. And if you are, then happy, happy days and continue learning. And finally, for somebody, I guess, whether that's director, approaching partner, my key thing here is questioning your legacy. And by that, I mean, as and when, if you're going to make partner and then eventually you'll leave an organisation, you'll retire. I've met so many people now who've retired partners I'm very close to who've retired and we still catch up. Um, and I think my key thing there is what do you want to be known for? So as you approach the, I'm not saying, well, it is part of the final chapter of your career in that organization, let's say, what do you want to be known for? What's your legacy? What makes you stand out? And when you leave that you don't want to, again, be one of many, people want to reflect on you and think, wow, he or she made a difference to this organization in this respect. And I think have a good hard think about that of what your legacy is. Fantastic. No, really, really good advice. And yes, some some very different advice to whatever what, what we've received before. Oh, really? really nice to answer <laughs> on. Well, and I think given the story we've talked about over the last hour, I think some it all, all aligns with that and some great things for people to think about that, like you say, sometimes people forget when they're getting carried away with making that grade and climbing to the next level and yeah. buying the next thing, going to the next restaurant, whatever it may be. So really good exactly. re- really good advice. And then like I said, the the last one, and this is just for my listeners to gain the insight from your lions is what is the if you can pick one the one piece of advice that you have been given by one of your lions that that has had the biggest impact on you i think it's being positive and that's the thread across all of the lions and all of my advisors because i did a resilience panel last week in the city and all of them were so positive and these people have been through some difficult times and i realized if you just try and actively be positive in your life 
it will make a huge difference. You know, just see things. Things are going to happen and they're not always going to go your way. But try and see a positive even in the worst of situations. You know, I try to say that even listening to Mo last week, you know, his, his son passed away and it wasn't that, you know, my son died, he didn't get to live his life. I actually had 21 amazing years. Even that, to see a positive in everything that happens and it will completely change the way your outlook is on life. Fantastic. I think a really good message to leave us with and to, to the end the interview with. So again, thank you so much for this. Thank you. If anyone wants to, you know, if anyone's listened to this and they want to find out more about yourself, more about TLC or more about Unwind, which apologies, I know we, we ran out of time to touch on, but if they want to find out about any of those businesses or yourself, where would you point them to? Where can they get in touch? Sure. I'd say if you feel free to follow, add me on LinkedIn. So it's Gian Power, which for all confusion is G-I-A-N. I get a lot of variations in power. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes as well. Don't you worry. So yeah, on there, because I share a lot of my own well-being tips. I travel every single month. So feel free to follow things. And I hope you can get some form of inspiration or tips and advice from what I do. So feel free to connect and reach out. Fantastic. And well, I will, I'll put your LinkedIn. I'll also put the links to the TLC and the Unwind website in the show notes so people can find them. And all that's left to say is thank you very much and all the best for the rest of your week. Amazing. Thank you so much. Take care. Hope to see you soon. Cheers. See you later. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Climb in Consulting podcast. If you did, I would be very grateful if you could leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast platform of choice, whichever one you may be using. And please also share this with anyone that you think could benefit from hearing today's interview. If you want to get in touch or give me any feedback about the podcast, please feel free to drop me an email. It's nick at climbinconsulting.com and I look forward to hearing from you.